Hey there, Duke fans, and welcome to episode number 66 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. I'll be your host this week. I am Jason Evans. You know me by now. I'm not even really going to go through these introductions. Should I go through the introductions? I guess I will. Sam. Sam Klein out in Denver, Colorado. Hello. Hey, Jason. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. And Donald Wine in Washington, D.C. Donnie, Donnie. Hey, what's going on, guys? Um, so I think we should start. Sam, you got yes. hurt. <laughs> that is true. So really quickly, really quickly, because we got a lot to go through on this podcast. Tell us what happened to you. I uh, took a um, took a bad fall skiing yesterday. Um, I should have been watching the Duke game instead of being out on the mountain. Um, so I had to uh, get myself a little patched up. Uh, nothing terrible. I will recover in short order, hopefully. Um, but uh, but I'm not walking around uh, at my fastest today, and I'm almost certainly not going to go outside. Gotcha. So no amputation or anything like that. No no amputation. There there were a couple stitches, um, and and I do have to walk around on crutches uh, a little bit, um, but I, I, I'll be fine. <laughs> do, we need a, do we need a vigil? Do we need to set up a vigil tread on the uh, deep air forms? Uh, no. Um, you, you don't want to see the photos. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. does not sound good. Okay, that's so all, guys. That's all I'll say about that. Uh, so guys, um, we got a lot to cover here. We haven't uh, spoken since ACC season began, um, and uh, – we're going to go through the three games that have happened so far for Duke, Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech, BC, uh, two good, one bad. Um, and, and then we're going to, I want you all to hold off on discussing two sort of pending personnel kind of things. One is Grayson Allen <laughs> allegedly, perhaps uh, some people say stuck his leg out. Oh, it's just such bullshit, but we're going to talk about that later. <laughs> And I, got a rant, do- I got a rant ready. I got a rant ready, Listen up. We give it credence, but you know, whatever. If you want to, I mean, we we should discuss it for a second, if only okay. to laugh at the people who who think Grayson does all evil all the time. Um, uh, it is the Grayson tripping scandal part four, but we'll get to that in a little bit. So don't talk about that. And the other thing we're not going to talk about yet is, is Emil Jefferson. I want to get to Emil Jefferson a little bit later. Um, just so folks know at this moment at the, we're recording the podcast Sunday afternoon. Um, we don't have any official word um, on Emil Jefferson's condition after he got hurt in the uh, first half, late in the first half of the game against BC. So, Put those two things aside. Let's just talk about the three games that happened in the past week or so. Um, and, and if you want to lump them all together, that's perfectly fine. Uh, it was Duke losing to Virginia Tech, 89-75. to 75. I'm not even sure it was as close as that final score. It was one of the um, worst efforts I've seen from a, a Duke basketball team in quite, quite some time. Um, we bounced back incredibly well um, and uh, beat Georgia Tech 110-57. to 57. A 53-point margin of victory, the largest margin of victory in an ACC game since February of 1965. To put it another way, there have been 51 seasons worth of games since someone beat a team this badly. And then uh, we wrapped it up this weekend just yesterday, uh, taking care of BC, 93-82. to um, It was a game that, that Duke uh, led by a lot pretty much the entire ball game. Um, and Donald, I'm going to start with you. Do you, do you want to take these one at a time? Do you want to give me a little bit of uh, something on all of them? Uh, you get us started discussing the three Duke games that we saw in the past week or so. So I'll discuss uh, each of them a little bit. Uh, very, very little in the first one. Uh, the Virginia Tech game, I will say this. Um, Jason Tatum showed up and Luke Kennard showed up. And I don't think the rest of the guys got on the bus. Um, 
And well, Grayson, Grayson Allen got on the bus, but he wasn't allowed to play. He wasn't allowed to play. Correct. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's really all I want to say about that game. That game was awful. Um, and whatever it was, I'm glad they left that in 2016 because 2017 has been uh, much better so far. I think the Georgia Tech game was the most complete game that we've had all year. Um, and that you know we said in the last podcast that our best game uh, has was yet to be played, and I think that was our best game. Um, you know, we we had seven guys in double figures. Um, everybody contributed to something. Uh, we had 24 assists, which is incredible. That is what you want to see. Uh, the ball movement, guys having a lot of fun out there, guys making baskets, um, and guys playing great defense. And that game was probably a little bit even more lopsided than uh, than the final score was in even that game. So uh, I thought that was great. An overall excellent uh, display by the Blue Devils against Georgia Tech. Boston College, I thought we started off uh, the same way that we ended against Georgia Tech. Very, very strong. Um, we... You know, Boston College, they, they have won a game uh, in, in conference. Um, so this is not last year's team. Um, they played very well. I thought they started off, they, they tried to give us our best shot, and we took that and ran with it. What happened in the second half, we had a little bit of a lull where they had their nice uh, comeback. Um, it was because we couldn't shoot, and for some reason they were finding passing lanes um, on our defense. And I think that's something to be corrected. Um, it, it's one of those things where... You can't. You couldn't really explain it at the time why the twenty-five point lead that we had, or whatever it was at the time, uh, shrunk to seven uh, in short order. It was a combination of of things, and I don't think it was anything where we played bad. We couldn't make anything to save our lives during that stretch of basketball, uh, and I think Boston College played very, very well to get back into the game and make it kind of close at the end. But uh, those what I have on those games. I think I think I, I'll, I will say this. I know we're going to mention a little bit later, but I think uh, Jeff Capel uh, performed very well as a coach um, in the game against uh, Boston College and looking forward to seeing what he can do going forward. But I know we'll talk about that a little bit later as well. Uh, so I'll kick it over to Sam. Donald, I, I think I'm going to take the dim view on this week. Um, as we mentioned before on the show, Boston College isn't very good and beating them by 10 or 11 points at home, I think is actually a poor performance for the Blue Devils. Um, and arguably as bad as, as losing by 15 points on the road to Virginia Tech. I don't think Duke was, was really that competitive. Uh, wait, in the Virginia wait, wait, Tech wait, 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 wait. Hold ahead. on. I, I don't know about that. I mean, well, uh, only we, in the we were, sense that we led, we led by 20 at halftime. And we, did. And then, and then and, and we led by 20 throughout playing. much of the second half. And then we just sort of, you know, we got a little cold. We weren't playing that hard. Um, I, to me, that wasn't even close to the Virginia Tech. Continue, but that wasn't even close I, to what we saw against Virginia Tech. I think that, I, right, I, I agree with you that it's not. I think that there is an argument that, that it could be um, because Virginia Tech is a much superior team to Boston College. And even though Boston College has a win this year in the conference, um, they, they shouldn't really be, be sniffing victories, even, even be they sort of like comeback victories late in games when teams fall asleep against them um, in, the, in the conference. So... I would look at this week and say that Duke kind of had two not so great performances um, overall, you know, obviously against Boston college, we were probably good for, for 30 minutes. Um, and then one spectacular performance, certainly against Georgia tech. I think that that was one of the most complete versions of this Duke team that you're going to see, but uh, I'm, I'm concerned that, you know, the injuries continue. And, and obviously you mentioned that we don't know what's going to happen with Emil Jefferson. Um, it feels like Georgia Tech might might have been the only time that we've gotten to see this team when it's really clicking, and 
And I don't know the next time that we're going to see that. Um, so it's, it's a little concerning to me that, um, that Duke hasn't put together a really great performance against a really great team in a while. Uh, obviously, we mentioned, I think on the last show, that Duke had strong performances in the early season against teams like Rhode Island and Florida. Um, and, and certainly they have opportunities coming up against uh, this week's opponents, especially Florida State and Louisville, who are both really strong teams. Uh, although Louisville's had a couple of losses recently, they've been to good teams. Duke has opportunities to to show well against good teams uh, in in conference games coming up, but I think there's a there's a view of this team that things aren't quite as great as the one Georgia Tech game would say, and um, and in, against Boston College, Duke didn't run out. You know, it's not like we ran walk-ons for the last ten minutes. Um, those were those were the real rotation players who were out there and missing lots of shots and letting Boston College you know creep 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 back into the game. So I'm I'm not quite as bullish. I think. Donald on on the state of the team, um, but I'm also acknowledging that a lot of things are changing. Harry Giles has come along pretty strongly. He's it seems like he's getting better in every game that he plays, uh, and that's going to be really crucial, I think, to this team. And he he adds an element that wasn't there before. Jason Tatum's going to continue to get better, and hopefully Marquise Bolden as well. Uh, sort of sort of speed get had you know uh, adjusts to the speed of the game a little better. Um, there's a lot of room for improvement and. I, and do you guys want to talk about the, the capable effect as opposed to the K effect? I don't know if we want to lump that all in here or if we want to come back to it later. Um, but well, that... let's, I, I was going to say, let's, let's, let's wait on capable for just a moment. Sure. Um, I, I, I like to go back and, and uh, address a little bit of, of what you were talking about, whether or not this BC game, um, you know, really was a good game for Duke or not. And, and I'll tell you, part of the story there has to be, and look, here my I, I've been trying to parse this podcast and, and put it into different compartments and such. And I said, oh, we're going to wait on talking about Emil Jefferson, but I'm about to talk about Emil Jefferson. Uh, look for the second half of that game. The first half of the game, we looked awesome. Um, at halftime, Duke had, get these numbers, Duke had 15 assists, 11 steals. We'd scored 24 points off a turnover. We'd hit 63% of our shots from the field. We were crushing them at halftime, well on our way to another 100-point you know, game and, and probably a 30-plus a point blowout. And I think you know, Emil Jefferson had 11 points at the half um, and had been incredibly efficient inside. And only, uh, only played 13 minutes. Exactly. Um, uh, and, and most importantly... He had captained the defense. I mean, the biggest stat to me from the BC game is BC scored 34 points in the first half. They scored 48, 48 points in the second half. And BC, as you point out, not only are not a good team, they're not a good offensive team. So uh, my concern um, with, with what we saw this week was if Emil Jefferson misses some serious time for Duke, we don't know. But if he does... Uh, it's going to have a major impact on our defense. He's the captain of the defense. He is the guy who tells everyone where to go and what to do. And I mean, look, when you look at a guy like Marquise Bolden, who um, he has a lot of energy and, and I like his movement and, and his athleticism on defense, but he gets lost. He just gets lost. And, and, and his man the, ends up. Yeah. Especially when, uh, when he gets pulled out to, you know, to cover screens and stuff there, there were times against Boston college where his guy had slipped to the rim um, his guys were leaking out and, and you could see that they were, they were trying to attack him on defense. Yeah. I don't blame them because I agree. He, he's very poor when he, when he gets screened and he's trying to, to, 
you know, um, or when his man screens, I should say, and and he's supposed to hedge and then recover. Um, his hedge and recover it, it really needs a lot of work. And boy, is he lost on offense. Whew. I mean, he gets the ball in the post. First of all, he's getting pushed off his spot, so he's getting the ball too far from the basket, and he's just flinging it um, like he's throwing up hook shots that have no chance at all of going in. But sort of, he's sort of got that. He sort of got that that pre light turn on Miles or uh, Mason Plumley thing going on. You're right. Exactly. It's I like the, that's a good term for it, but I, I like what Harry Giles is starting to do. He is clearly getting more and more comfortable on the floor. By the way, he had one of the craziest three point plays when, when he got hacked. In the <laughs> yeah, ball. That, that was, was awesome. That, that was, was the play. That was, that was the play of the week. <laughs> that was, that was the play of the week. I, I was I watching know, the game. I that went in. I was watching the game. I had the sound off and I was, cause I was listening to something else while I was watching it. And I, I was, you know, sort of blank faced watching the game. And that happened that I had that, um, you know, the Michael Scott looking into the camera smile, um, you know, when he realizes like, a, when he realizes like a funny, dirty joke has happened. I had that smile on my face for about 10 seconds after that play. <laughs> and he sold um, it too. <laughs> yeah, he celebrated. If ball goes through the basket, you celebrate. Yes. So I think Giles is really coming on and, and uh, that's exciting to me. Um, a, a couple other really quick um, things I wanted to note. Uh, against Georgia Tech, Duke's effective field goal percentage, which, you know, you get extra points for three-pointers and such, was more than 67%, and Georgia Tech was 36%. Uh, it, it was, I mean, we we crushed, we absolutely destroyed them. It was, uh, as I said, the the biggest win in the ACC in 51 seasons. But the thing I really wanted to talk about was Grayson Allen. Um, uh, so at, at halftime against BC, they put up a stat on the screen of who the leading scorers were for Duke. And Emil had 11, and Frank Jackson had 11, and Jason Tatum had nine, Luke had eight. And you had to go all the way down. The last guy they listed was Grayson Allen, who had only a three-pointer in the first half. He only had three points. And, and I thought to myself, that's funny. I thought Grayson Allen was the MVP of the first half of that game because he had nine assists in the first half, nine assists in one half of basketball. Um, and to me, the most significant thing that happened this week was that uh, when Grayson Allen returned, Duke said, okay, Grayson is the point guard. Grayson is the distributor. Grayson is the guy who's going to create the offense. And he had 18 assists in two games. Um, and playing point guard is really good, by the way, for his NBA future. We all talked in the preseason. When we, or actually, we talked late last year when Grayson decided to come back, and we said he's coming back because the NBA would love to see him be more of a distributor, love to see him become a point guard. He pushes the pace phenomenally well. I mean, he is a fast ball player, and he gets the ball up the court very, very quickly. He's great at getting into the teeth of the defense and then finding guys for dunks or wide-open jumpers. Um, I thought against Georgia Tech and especially the first half against BC, he absolutely controlled the game. Um, in some really impressive ways, uh, you know, he didn't have you too many tell, turnovers. Yeah, you can what? Tell when you're watching him, that he he's looking for those passes now, and I don't think he was doing it even earlier this season. Uh, yeah, for whatever reason, that's a that's a that's a transition he made recently, and and it's worked really well. Uh, from the you know the the offense looks better when Grayson's able to make those passes because he gets into the lane so quickly and can get the ball almost anywhere on the court. Um, when he wants to, and and frankly, the other guys on the team, it seems like uh, some of the time haven't uh, quite adjusted to the fact that you know they they might not think that they're open in the moment that Allen is driving, but he's able to find the ball to them even even though they think it's not coming. 
you, you want a great stat that, that feeds right to what you were talking about. So in the first 12 games he played this season, Grayson Allen averaged 12, more than 12 shots per game. He took five shots against BC, nine shots. I'm sorry, five shots against Georgia Tech, nine shots against BC. He so, took five shots in a game where Duke scored 110. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He is looking to pass. And, and I think it's a really, really good thing for Duke. It probably means Grayson Allen has no shot at winning National Player of the Year because everyone loves points. And it may mean that he can't make, you know, uh, a, a high all-ACC team. Um, but uh, if Grayson Allen averages 12 or 13 points per game and six assists per game over the rest of the season, this is a much better Duke team than if he was averaging 20 points per game and two or three assists. Um, and, a and, much better team. And that lineup that we have with him at point, with the one that we started out with, with Allen, Canard uh, shooting guard, and then you had Tatum, Giles, and Jefferson. Um, oh, that's a huge lineup. That's a huge. ginormous lineup, as, as but Jason, also very as, as agile and athletic. It, as Jason calls it, the world-eating lineup. Yes. It, yes, it is. It, it, that is the lineup. I've wanted that lineup since since the middle of the summer when we really figured out who this team was going to be since we knew who, uh, you know, who the freshmen were going to be and who's going to be coming back. That is the lineup that I have been looking forward to. And you're right. I call it the world eaters. These are the guys you put those five guys together. And I, I, you know, if they're, if they're playing anywhere close to what they're capable of doing, I think Duke is a, a, a order of magnitude better than anyone else in the country. And, and and as you point out, that's an enormous lineup. Grayson Allen's playing point guard at six four. Uh, Luke Kennard's like six six playing shooting guard. Tatum is like six nine playing small forward. No one, no one in the country is matching up size wise against that lineup. And they're still agile enough to play with these athletic teams. And uh, right, like Kennard's like the only one. Kennard's the right. only one in that group that doesn't have you know super long arms and 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 incredible quickness. Exactly. Hey, so should we get to uh, the Great Grayson Tripping Scandal Part 4? Um, th- this is one yeah. of the most ridiculous things ever. Do you want me to summarize it? Yeah, please. I, 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 I look forward to it. It's ridiculous. Shut up. That's it. That's all, it That's all there is to say. It's, it was insane. It happened, it happened so quickly. There, there's no way that he was like, that he was like you know what we're going to do here? Well, you know what my, my method is here on defense is, is going to be to kick the guy in the nuts behind me. And, and that's going to be the best way to stop this play. There, it, the Grace, of, I, kick, I, I, wait, wait, wait. Speaking of kicking someone in the nuts, did you all see yes. what Dylan Brooks did? Oh, oh my God. Oh, <laughs> my worse. God. <laughs> well, actually, I didn't. Here's, the, here's my rant. Like, I didn't hear about that until you told me earlier, Jason, because it wasn't a national inquisition on ESPN. Meanwhile, on ESPN, I woke up this morning, and on Twitter and on, on ESPN.com is one of the front page, front page stories. On SportsCenter, it was one of the leading stories, was whether or not Grayson Allen tripped somebody again. And we didn't talk about Dylan Brooks uh, kicking some dude in the nuts. We didn't talk about the fact that Grayson Allen himself was tripped yesterday uh, during the game. So, yeah, but it was like, a, a, so, right, Grayson was tripped, but it was, I mean, that was innocent. It was clear that nothing happened there. And the thing that scares me, I mean, he wasn't tripped intentionally. He was right, running right. And, and his feet got caught up with someone else and, or someone, you know, whatever. Uh, what scares me uh, about this great Grayson Allen tripping scandal part four is that if, if Grayson is the guy chasing someone and their feet accidentally get caught together, you know, where Grayson isn't the guy in, in front if he's the guy behind, 
And it can happen. We saw it happen yesterday. It happens all the time. The next time Grayson accidentally gets involved with someone, we're going to have the third degree. We're going to have craziness. And, and he may get suspended again. It's, it's insane. It's and stupid. It, it's a witch hunt, plain and simple. It's stupid. And the fact that, like, I mean, the fact that we even have to discuss it is problematic to me. And that's exactly what I was talking about a couple episodes ago when he got suspended. Like, we're not talking about Dylan Brooks. We're not talking about dudes punching people in the face or, or anything else in, like, NFL or anything like that. This is a clickbait article. This is a clickbait report. Even Seth Greenberg was like, yo, guys, this is not a story. But they were hyping it anyway because they gave it five minutes on SportsCenter about whether or not he actually did trip him with still images and Sapruder film coverage. Like, like this is stupid. And if we're going to keep doing this every single time Grayson Allen blows on somebody or enters the game or, or collects a foul, then – that's really going to be a distraction for this team as well. And I don't want to see that happen either. So ESPN, just stop it because it's stupid. Do you guys think that Al, it was, or were you guys surprised that Allen was only ultimately suspended for one game? No. Okay. I, I, Cause, because I was a little surprised. I, like looking back, I shouldn't have been, um, but it did seem surprising that it was only one game. Uh, even though it was like a two-week suspension, technically, because we didn't play any games over the over the break, uh, you, but, you know. But uh, and I, I wonder if the I wonder if the vitriol wouldn't be as as hot, and and if the if the coverage wouldn't be as intense on that what happened in the Boston College game if that was his first game back rather than his second. Yeah. By the way, Dylan Brooks got a zero-game suspension. He, he was he was kicked out of the game he was playing in, which, by the way, is something that has never happened to Grayson Allen. Grayson Allen has never been assessed a flagrant only, technical that he's caused only gotten him. the one technical, right? Right, right. He's never been assessed a flagrant foul that caused him to sit out of a game. Um, but he did sit out a game because Coach K felt it was the right thing to do. And and I agree, it's fine. Um, Dylan Brooks just plain nailed a dude in the in the holy spot and uh ferociously um and was ejected from the game. And the Pac 10s response was to say, okay, we're done. There's nothing else to be done here. I, yeah, double standard, triple standard. I don't care what you want to call it. It's 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 wrong. It's unfortunate, and I really worry that that especially after this thing yesterday, where it was nothing, where Grayson was merely trying to fight over a screen and lost his balance. I worry that Grayson's going to start to think about it while he's on the floor, and he basketball is instinctive, and it affects his game. Then, yeah, and then we've he, already, and then everyone else has already won like that, he, like. That's the ultimate like shot in the shot in the in the in the in the bread maker. The fact that he would have to think about moving past the screen would cause to the rest of America is stupid. And I'll tell you, I, I hope that one of the messages Coach K has given him is you need to not do this ever again, but you need to not think about not doing it. And I don't know if that's possible. It's but that, about, that, it's about making habits, but th- that doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. I, 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 so I'll say, I, you'll recall when we discussed this, um, I said that I thought a one or maybe a two game suspension was more than enough. Um, and, and I'm fine with one game. Uh, it, it, it's absurd to me. No one has ever been hurt by any of Grayson's trips. Um, I, I just, the notion that you would sit a guy for more than a game, and let's not forget, he was stripped of his captaincy. 
Grayson Allen is no longer a captain of the Duke basketball team. And, uh, you know, the media probably doesn't care about that. Everyone's like, oh, we missed a game. I, I think I think that sent a real, real message. I think Coach K, um, that's a way that Coach K dealt with this that that is significant. Um, there's a captain's award at the end of the season. Grayson Allen will not win that award. Um, and and uh, he lost something really significant there. Being being a captain of a Duke basketball team is a big, big, big deal. Um, and, uh, you know, for the media to go, he only got one game and Coach K doesn't show discipline and stuff. It's just total BS. Total BS. Should we even speculate about Emil Jefferson? Is there anything to speculate about? Like I said, our defense will suffer. Everything suffers. I mean, the, the offense, you know, we, we talked about how Grace Allen's such a good distributor, but Emil Jefferson has also been doing a lot of distributing this year. Um, and know, he's the a ball finisher. In and out of the post. Right? And he's a finisher um, in the post, big time. And, and cleans up on the offensive glass and does all the things that you kind of expect from a um, – you know, from, from your power, like if you had the best power forward who couldn't jump that high and couldn't shoot threes that, that Emil Jefferson does everything else. Right. Um, so it, he, he's missing. If he's not in the game, you feel it in, in every way. And we really, we really hope that he comes back soon. Hopefully he doesn't have to miss any games with whatever that injury was to his foot um, against Boston college. He, well, he's the floor general. Like he, he's the, he's the, he's the leader on the court. He's an extension of the coaching staff, in my opinion, uh, and he plays like that. And, and everyone, everyone on the team feeds off of his intensity, um, and that's what's going to be missed the most if he's out for uh, any period of time. Uh, so it would be natural for me to now move on to us talking about uh, games at Florida State and at Louisville. And by the way, it's worth noting that uh, the two easy wins Duke had this week were both in the friendly confines of Cameron Indoor Stadium and the game we lost was on the road. And here we go on the road against two really, really good teams. It would be easy to transition to that. But before we do, um, let's talk about Jeff Cable. Um, and and Sam, I'll kick it to you first. Uh, what do you think it does to the team to not have Coach K and, uh, uh, you know, tell me a little bit about how you think maybe it's a little bit different team. Is it a different team with Capel in charge? I think that the main thing to keep in mind is that by the reports we've seen, Coach K will remain sort of involved in the team. He's, he's going to still be watching all the film and talking to the coaching staff. So it's not like he's, he's disappearing from, from the whole program for a month while he recovers from his surgery. And, and we certainly hope that he's, you know, he's healthy and walking around and, and with the team full-time again soon. So it's not like we're getting the, the entirely Jeff Capel experience, right? We're getting Jeff Capel as Coach K's, you know, man in the room. So I don't think we're going to see a lot of, um, a lot of changes. I do, uh, I am curious to see sort of how uh, he continues to bring along Giles and Bolden and to see if, uh, you know, because in years past, this is around the time, early ACC season, maybe towards the end of January, where the rotation really gets finalized and the guys who aren't going to play really don't play anymore. Um, Chase Jeter's been hurt, but Chase Jeter's one of those guys that you could envision being, you know, sent to the bench for, for the entire game at this point in the season because he's not 
one of the six or seven best. And so now it's up to Capel really in the games to determine who those guys are. And I don't know if he's going to have the same short leash for the guys not definitely in the rotation that Kay has. Uh, you know, is he going to is he going to play eight guys double digit minutes in games? Because uh, Shashevsky doesn't normally do that in mid January, um, and and Capel hasn't had the whole team healthy yet to do that. But perhaps in the next two weeks he will. And I when he came in last year and coached the one Georgia Tech game, he put Antonio Vrankovic in the game. Uh, which effectively burned his red shirt for that season. I think, right? That was the, there was like yep. a, sort of a yep. minor yeah. story over that. Is that going to happen again? Um, and and how does the relationship between Kay and Capel work when Kay is still watching the games and, and still having input? Because ultimately, you know, once the game starts, it's not like he's he's not around to to remind everybody what the game plan is. Everyone has to trust in Capel. I think that the good thing here is that because Capel has been sort of the lead assistant for the last few years, because he he's been the the main recruiter. It's not like he doesn't have a relationship with the players and it's not like he doesn't have head coaching experience. I mean, if you're asking for an assistant to step in and be a head coach for a month, Jeff Capel is one of the most qualified for that of any coach probably in the country. So it's not like you're getting an inexperienced guy. It's not, and not that I think that Shire would do a bad job, but it's not like John Shire is doing it, right? It's Jeff Capel. Who's, who's what in his forties, he's had years and years of head coaching experience I don't think we're going to see huge changes, but I am curious to see if the uh, if the rotation doesn't shorten the way that Shostevsky normally does it. Well, you're you're right about Capel having experience. I think people people probably forget this is a guy who was a he was a head coach from 2002 to 2011, and not at small time programs, Virginia Commonwealth and Oklahoma. Um, and uh, and you're absolutely right; he's been on on the bench here for a while. Uh, the, the fact that he is going to, the fact that unlike last time Kay took a break, Kay is not going to be stepping completely away from the program is a really, really big deal. But I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, to Capel sort of getting an, an extended chance to mold the team a little bit. Um, a lot of people say that Jeff Capel is, um, has been the key to Duke's recruiting in recent years that he's uh you know coach k may be the closer but jeff capel is the guy who who sets him up so that coach k can close it all off um uh and and bring in stud recruits um uh, recruits all the time when they're talking about uh who they connected with and and uh, why they came to duke they quite often um talk about capel in a way that you don't often see them talk about assistance at other universities at other programs so uh i, I think capel may be closer He's certainly closer in age. He's 41. He's close, and Kay, you know, is pushing 70. Um, Capel's closer in age to these kids, to these players, than Coach Kay is. Um, and and he may be able to inspire them in different ways. He may be able to connect with them in different ways. Um, I I think it's it's exciting. It'll be very very interesting to see um, what happens uh, as you know this coming week as we have our first two really 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 tough road tests. Um, well, we already had one tough road test that we failed. So, so now we got two more, you know, really difficult ones. Um, and uh, I'm glad that Capel got the BC game, a game in Cameron, um, as head coach under his belt uh, to to you know to feel really comfortable in the role. And I'm glad he got to do it last year against Georgia Tech. Uh, I, but I think it's I think it's a good thing for Duke and and the the fact that he's going to. Um, he's probably, I bet he does play a bigger rotation. He played a lot of guys when he was head coach at Oklahoma and at Virginia Commonwealth. I think, um, 
I think it's good for Duke that he'll he'll get a chance to to bring a lot of guys um, into the rotation. Hopefully, assuming assuming injuries haven't reared their ugly head. Donald, what you got on this one? So one thing I wanted to note uh, that he had talked about after the uh, Boston College game was that he left Coach K's normal chair on the bench empty. Um, and I that noticed is, that. Yes, and, yes. And that is a statement to me that says that one Coach K is still involved in the program. Uh, that is not going to be like 1995 where he's going to have a full uh, release from the program and he's going to be away. He's going to be have his hands involved with as much as he can uh, while he is out. Uh, but what this also means is, is Capel is making it very clear that like he is just driving this car for a little bit while while Kay's out. He he wants to make sure that this program is still uh, churning along when Coach K comes back. So there's not going to be a lot of changes. But what I do see, you can't get a lot of impressions from one game um, against Boston College. But I was at that game last year against Georgia Tech, um, where he, if you recall, we started out in his own defense. And we eventually switched to man, and that was the credit uh, given to our comeback in, in that game and our eventual victory. So he's going to coach, you know, the way he coaches. He's going to have his tendencies, his instincts. He's not going to uh, shorten the bench, um, as, you, as you've seen. Uh, he's not, probably not going to go with an eight-man rotation that we're normally used to seeing in January and February. But what he's going to do, he knows these players. He knows their game well. Um, Everyone talks about how he has been the catalyst uh, for this uh, core of this team, uh, getting them in and, and keeping them here, um, you know, and keeping them together. I think that is where the continuity is going to remain the same, and I think that is going to help, especially these young players, uh, not feel as nervous um, when you don't look to, when you look to sideline and Coach K is not there. Uh, so I think we're, we're, we're in a good spot. We, we have probably the best assistant coach in the country coaching our team for the next month. And I think that is uh, a good thing uh, for our program. It's a good thing for our players. The final thing that I will say is I think what Capel will bring uh, that is a little different from Coach K, he brings a, a sense of calm when the chips are down. Like there was a time during the uh, Boston College game yesterday where we, when we were uh, not hitting anything and they were starting to come back, you, couldn't, you could see that he just kind of, had a demeanor about him that he would look, bring a player aside. He would be forceful with them, but he was calm about it. And I think uh, sometimes um, that is what players need more than uh, a timeout to be berated, which, you know, Coach K does that. It's fine. I, I actually love it out of him. I love the fire. But he's going to bring that intensity in a different way um, than Coach K does. And I think that is uh, something that these players are probably used to. Um, and they probably are getting a lot in practice because I know in 2014 or 2015, Coach K said that, you know, a lot of the credit for the practice schemes and stuff like that came from Capel. So uh, these guys are used to him. The, the program's used to him. And I think that part of it is going to be what uh, helps us out these next four weeks. We're going to move on. It's time to talk about the games that, Coach Capel is actually going to coach. <laughs> and we begin playing Tuesday at Florida State. Um, Sam, I know that you have been preparing a little something on this. This Florida State team is really, really impressive. They're the second highest scoring team in the ACC, and they're going to be ranked in the top 10 this coming week, aren't they? Uh, they very well could be, and they certainly are deserving of, of 
something around that ranking. They're 20th in Ken Palm, um, but they have an impressive slate of victories. They beat uh, a Florida team uh, that, that Duke already beat. Their only loss is was to Temple on a neutral floor, and that was back in November. But they've started off ACC play really strong. They're 3-0. and They have wins against uh, Virginia Tech and UVA. And as we mentioned last week or two weeks ago, last time we spoke, um, UVA is a is a really strong team. So uh, Florida and State, so right Virginia there. Tech. For so is Virginia, Virginia Tech. Tech. We, and they we beat know that. them bad. They yeah, beat they, them yeah, bad. The uh, right, Florida State has Florida State has some very impressive victories recently. Um, they only they only beat Virginia by two points, but guess what? It was in Charlottesville, and they beat Virginia Tech at home by fifteen. So Virginia Tech, you know, maybe more volatile than than Virginia is. Uh, but those are both really impressive victories to start ACC season. And they get Duke um, in Tallahassee, where uh, Duke, it's not like Duke has struggled recently against Florida State, but this team is much better than it's been the last couple of years. They're headlined uh, again this year by Xavier Rattan Mays, who, who's been a very effective player for them. Um, and they, so they get a lot of scoring out of him. They also get a lot of scoring out of Dwayne Bacon, uh, who's a sort of bigger sophomore guard. Um, the main thing with, with Florida State, when it comes to offense, they uh, they're 23rd in in offensive efficiency, but the guards aren't that efficient, and they don't shoot the ball that well from deep. So uh, Duke wants to keep them wants to keep the ball out of the lane because they can get the ball inside. They have a couple of strong players in Jonathan Isaac and uh, Michael Ojo, who we remember he's a he's a rather large fellow. Um, they, those guys can score in the middle. Um, Mays and Bacon score a lot, but they don't they aren't that efficient, and like I said, they don't shoot that well. So the key for Duke is really to lock it up on the perimeter, keep the ball outside, keep Florida State moving the ball around and not moving it in, um, which is tough against. We, you know, we've we've seen Rattan Mays in the past. We know that he can get he can drive the ball. Um, we know that Florida State always plays very physical, so uh, you know, trying to trying to body up with them. And, and like I said, the one of the things to watch with Capel is how he manages the rotation. Are we going to see more of? Bolden and Vrankovic trying to contain, uh, trying to give fouls and contain those guys inside. You know, Bolden hasn't really shown defensive chops yet. Uh, and but if if Jefferson isn't in there, someone's going to have to defend Florida State in the middle. So uh, another tough test for Duke. You asked me. I, I've been. I was thinking about this when I was watching the Virginia Tech game. That um, you asked me in the preview, Jason, for Virginia Tech. You know, what are the odds that Duke loses this game? And at that point, I think we were feeling pretty confident. And I said, oh, maybe, maybe there's like a 40% chance Duke loses this game. And then, of course, we come out, we, we get down by a lot and never really, never really look competitive uh, with Virginia Tech. So I'm not going to be as confident this time that Duke is going to take out Florida State. And I say it's, I think it's more likely that Florida State wins this game, but that there are keys to victory that I think Duke can handle. Uh, certainly perimeter defense is something that Duke is capable of playing really well. Allen and, and Matt Jones have that ability and, uh, and, and Kennard can certainly add something and Jason Tatum can add something. So um, I think that Duke can beat this Florida state team. I think it's going to be a tough challenge and I'm not going to be surprised at all if Florida state manages to win. I do hope that Duke looks more competitive against Florida state than they did against Virginia tech again on the road against a team that is not at the very top of the conference, but is certainly competitive and and has the ability to to really beat anybody you know uh, we talked about um capel playing more guys and and being more willing to use the bench he's gonna have to florida state plays a lot of guys there's no one on that team that averages 30 30 minutes per game i mean they they run like 10 different guys in there right um, 
they're going to be a real challenge. Um, yeah, I'm, Ojo. I'm, I'm worried. I, I, I highlighted Ojo because I know that he's a big body. He only plays 13 minutes a game, but those 13 minutes he can he can wreak havoc if if you don't have someone who's able to to body him up and and you know keep him away from the basket. Uh, it, it's going to be a really tough one. It's going to be a very very tough one. And um, I, I I I hear what you said about them not being a great outside shooting team. I think to me that's the key. If they're hitting from outside, because they take the ball to the hole with such strength and authority, if they're hitting from outside, we're in real, 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 real trouble. Um, uh, you know, that that to me, that's the formula that Duke loses this game. Um, uh, I think the formula for a close game is that neither team is is shooting particularly great from the perimeter, um, and uh, and I think we would probably. We're probably going to struggle on the boards against them, especially if we don't have Emil Jefferson. Um, it would be a really, really important and really good time for Harry Giles to be able to play heavy minutes and um, uh, Jeter, you know, maybe to come back or 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 Marquise Bolden to be able to give us some some quality, important minutes um, would be could be really important against uh, against these big guys and against all the Florida State guys who who crash the boards very effectively. Donald, shall we move on to our next opponent this week? Yeah, let's do that. Uh, and that opponent is Louisville, uh, thirteen and three on the season, uh, one and two in the ACC. We'll get to that in a second. They're ranked tenth in Ken Palm, and for good reason. They have a lot of guys who are very big. They have nine guys that average over ten minutes a game. They spread the scoring around as well. They're led by Donovan Mitchell, Quentin Snyder, and Dang Adele, uh, all who average more than ten points a game. But they have like four or five guys that are all contributors. Uh, on the scoring on the scoring sheet, uh, averaging between like six and eight points a game as well. They don't shoot threes very well, but they do shoot a great number of them, and w- they will hit them on occasion. What they'd like to do, though, is find points in the paint and on transition. They're a great rebounding team. They average 42 rebounds a game. Um, that's a huge number, and that's something that we're going to have to limit um, their second and third chances, which is where they get a lot of their uh, points. They also like to get turnovers and lead on the break. They get seven steals a game. They average seven blocks a game. So they, their interior defense is very good as well as their perimeter defense. And they are going to be the team that's going to be very athletic. Um, as I mentioned before, they're one and two in the ACC, but those two losses were to Virginia and Notre Dame. So there's no shame there. Um, those are two very good teams uh, who are performing very well. They've played a very difficult schedule. Um, their only other loss was to Baylor, who was also ranked. Um, but they've beaten the likes of Purdue, Wichita State, Kentucky, and Indiana. So this is a tough team. Um, they play athletic. We're going to need great defense on the interior. Um, as you guys mentioned before, um, you know, we're going to need Giles. We're going to need Bolden. We're going to need, uh, if, if Emil is, is, is good to go, that, he would, that would be excellent. Um, but we're going to need those two. We're going to need Jeter. And we're even going to need Tatum um, to be able to grab rebounds and play tough inside. Uh, when we have open looks, uh, to take threes, we're going to need to take them. We're going to need to make them. Um, that's going to stretch their defense out, and that's going to open up a lot of holes uh, for Tatum and, and Allen to uh, sniff through, and also uh, for that uh, mid-range jumper from Luke Kennard as well. Um, that would help um, immensely in this game. Getting in a physical game is what they probably want, and for us to get them out of their game, we're going to need to be able to make our, our take our chances when we have them and make them um, because when they – play catch-up, they're not as good. They're not going to be able to make uh, that many threes. They're not going to be able to get a lot of points back uh, on transition. So what they want to do is kind of grind it out. They throw a lot of guys at you um, and on defense and on offense, 
And if we can limit their the in, interior play, if we can do well there, that's going to be the key to this game. You know, this sort of brings me to the ACC in general. Um, the conference this year, I mean, we've talked about how strong it is, but it is crazy. I mean, I know we're only three games in for most teams. I think Miami's only on two games, but most everyone else has played three. There is a nine-way tie for seventh place. There are nine teams in the ACC. Actually, it's, is it? It's either a tie for seventh place or a tie for fifteenth place, because <laughs> there are there are nine teams that are all one and two in the ACC. Uh, at the conferences, it's just it, it's remarkable how how hard it is to figure out. I mean, I'll give you a great example. So so Pitt goes out and loses to Notre Dame by one point in overtime. No shame in that. Really good game by Pitt. They then beat Virginia and scored eighty eight points in the process. I, I don't. I'm not sure there's uh, – you could take an NBA team. I'm not sure an NBA team could score 88 points on Virginia with the quality of their defense. So I'm thinking, wow, Pitt is awesome. And then they go play at Syracuse and lose by 11. Like, how do you make sense out of those results? It feels like the Big East from six or seven years ago, right, where there were eight or nine teams in the conference that felt like they could win the national championship. And I think that the ACC is like that this year. I think it's – I was just looking at these numbers – that. ACC's, um, if you, it, the top 10 teams are ranked all within the top 41 of Ken Palm. There are 10 teams in the conference right now that are probably making the tournament. Um, and the rest of the way, they're going to be playing each other. So, you know, unless there are lots of blowouts, it's not like those teams are going to drop precipitously um, just by beating up on each other because they're going to be playing good teams and they're going to, you know, presumably look good doing it. Um, and for the teams that are out that are probably on the outside looking in Pittsburgh and, and NC state, as you note, Pittsburgh has already won at Virginia. NC state has one of the most talented freshmen in the country in Dennis Smith. Um, so they can make noise against anybody. Although they, I, I saw that they were getting creamed by UNC. Oh my God. What happened to NC state today against UNC? Like, thank goodness. NC state right now needs to thank Georgia tech because thank goodness Duke destroyed Georgia Tech this week. Otherwise, everyone would be talking about how badly UNC beat NC State. Duke beat but Tech NC by State, 53. But, but you could see Dennis Smith going off in a game and NC State beating anybody in the conference. So, yeah, yeah, no, know, I they, agree. They're, I agree. They're struggling now, but who says that they couldn't, they couldn't you know, go on a, on a run now? It's NC State. They, they always deal with the worst luck. But um, there's nothing so, to say that, that they can't do that. So there's a great stat. Uh, you know, the stat boy here. There's a great stat from that game. So UNC beat NC State by 51 points. It is the Ooh. second. 51, Ooh. yes. It is the second largest point margin in the UNC-NC State history, surpassed only by the 52-point beatdown from the 1921 game where UNC beat NC State 62-10. to 10. So you have to go back to 1921 to find a worse beatdown than this one. I think, by the way, Larry Brown was on that UNC team back in 1921. I, I mean, <laughs> uh, and the, <laughs> the 107 points that UNC scored was the most they've ever scored against the pack. Um, wow. Yeah, NC State does not play any defense at all. Um, and, I and, this to, is, and this is a UNC team that lost to Georgia Tech last week. Badly. Right. Lost mm -hmm. badly. Georgia, right. I, I think the transitive property would now say that Georgia Tech should beat um, uh, the, the Wolfpack by about 80 or something like that. <laughs> right. Uh, it's been uh, a crazy, yeah, crazy it, conference. 
Any anyone in this anyone in this conference can be beat, and anyone in this conference can go on a long run. Uh, I think that's kind of what I've been seeing over the last the first three games at least. Anyway, like all these teams are pretty strong. Like even like Boston College can get. I mean, can clearly give teams a run for their money. They're not going to win many games, but they're giving teams a run for their money. Georgia Tech can beat anybody. NC State can lose by fifty and then probably beat somebody by thirty uh, next week. So like this conference is going to be like crazy to watch over the next couple months. How many yeah, and- bids do you think that the conference is in line to get? As of today. Oh, if the tournament was today, I, I think we'd get 10 today. I think 10. Yeah. I, I think, think that's a lot. <laughs> I think that by the time it all happens, it all comes around. I, I bet it ends up at nine. There, there are going to be teams that just have some ugly losses on their resume that are just going to be hard. You know, they're going to, like you said, they're, Georgia Tech and, and um, Georgia Tech, Syracuse, and Boston College are going to win games, not a lot, but they'll win games that, that look ugly in retrospect on teams' records, um, and and could you know hurt someone like a Pitt, um, uh, uh, certainly an NC State um, that are trying to make the tournament. Um, I, I, the interesting thing is, by the way, like even if the ACC only gets nine bids or eight bids, ACC is going to have like seven teams that are going to get like top six seeds, um, because some of these. I, some of these teams are going to get really high seats. Notre Dame, Notre Dame, they're three and zero. They've won at Pittsburgh. They beat Louisville. They beat Clemson. Those are three really good wins. Um, this Notre Dame team is for real. I, I, I said it in the preseason, you know, in our, our podcast where we were previewing the ACC. Um, I won't, I won't be surprised if Notre Dame wins the conference. I really won't. That that's how good they've been. They got four guys who average between fourteen and seventeen points per game. Uh, and they're and they're the best free throw shooting team in ACC history. They hit like 84 percent of their free throws. It's ridiculous. Notre Dame is so freaking good. They're so so I'm going to go on record. I'm going to go on record and say that as far as the NCAA tournament is concerned, that there's going to be at least ten teams. I think there's a possibility that we get eleven, and I think the reason why is because I think two ACC teams will make the play-in games. Oh, really? I All think. Right. T- I think two. I think we'll get we'll get two of those teams in uh, via the playing game. Yeah, I think I'm with Jason that, that it probably ends up at nine, but um, but ten won't surprise me at all. Mm-hmm. I I think NC State's in real trouble. Like NC State would be one of those teams. I mean, like the the, the bubble teams are going to be like Miami, maybe Clemson. Although Clemson's Clemson's looking pretty good at this point. Um, and and uh, and Pitt. Um, uh, you know, if Syracuse or NC State ever gets their act together, it's those teams are the ones um, that are that are going to be on the bubble there. Uh, and I guess Wake Forest maybe. Um, Wake, by the way, is is ranked ahead of. Um, they're ranked ahead of Syracuse, Pitt, and NC State in Ken Palm right now. So you know, maybe I'm discounting Wake too much, but but I think it's going to be tough for those teams. They're somehow to... they're somehow ahead of Virginia Tech in Ken Palm. Are they really? I... And yeah, they're they're Wake is forty, the Virginia Tech is forty first. Wow, you're right. That wow. is it's crazy. crazy, right? Yeah, I don't know how that happened, but yeah, hey, I mean, Wake's played a tough schedule so far, and they're not that bad against it. But but I was gonna say, um, I, I just think that they're gonna beat up on each other. It's gonna be it's gonna be it's gonna be really hard to get to, you know, nine wins for a lot of those teams in the ACC, um, or ten. And I think you're going to have to. I don't know that if you're eight and ten, the NCAA tournament just isn't going to take an eight and ten ACC team. 
as good as the conference is, you're going to have to get to nine wins at least. Well, I mean, you're fa- you have to factor also in the uh, conference tournament, which would lend you know some of these teams a chance uh, to be a team that is going to make the NCAA tournament outright. So uh, if we, if, for instance, if we do get nine teams in, then the play in the first day of games uh, for the ACC tournament is going to feature at least one or two of those teams. So, uh, and the teams that are playing them will have, a, will then have a chance maybe to boost their resume by beating one or two of them. It'll be interesting to see. And it's still very, very early. And like I said, there's a seven way tie or sorry, a nine way tie for seventh place. Crazy, crazy conference. It'll be fun to look at how things shake out over the next week or so. Gentlemen, it is time for Player of the Week. Um, And uh, Sam, I will go to you first. Who did you pick as the Player of the Week for the Duke Blue Devils? I I took your boy, Luke Kennard, uh, who had another strong week, looked uh, looked really good against all three opponents, and has just generally been doing Luke Kennard things all year. So uh, I don't think I don't think there's much explanation necessary. I'm taking Luke Kennard. Uh, Mr. Donnie Don, uh, I am also going with your boy Luke Kennard for the reasons that Sam said, and that's pretty much it. Um, so I've been the guy all season. I think I've picked Luke Kennard every single time <laughs> for player of the week. Um, just about, I think so. I, maybe I did. Um, and I am going off the board and I'm going to take Grayson Allen, um, uh, who missed the first game, um, uh, against Virginia tech. But I, I think Grayson Allen was the player of the week because I think the most significant thing that happened to Duke this week was Grayson Allen excelling at point guard. Um, I mentioned that he had 18 assists. I mentioned that he only took 14 shots in his two games, but he scored 27 points, which is highly, highly efficient. He had four steals. He had eight rebounds. He's, you know, doing a lot of things for Duke, but the most important thing he's doing and, and what I think may be the most important development in this season is Grayson Allen is now running the show for Duke. Um, and he did a heck of a job running the show for Duke nine assists in the first half against Boston college. Can I make a, can I make a bold prediction here related to player of the week? Please. If Duke goes 2-0 and this week against Florida State and Louisville, I predict that Harry Giles will be my pick for player of the week. So when you said if Duke goes 2-0, I, yes. I said to myself, Harry Giles is going to be player of the week if Duke goes 2-0. Oh, yeah. And then, and then you said it. Yes, I, I think you're probably right. And, and I think that that potential definitely exists. It definitely exists. Because you could see his breakout game is coming, and it's very soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I won't be surprised if it's against either of these teams that we're playing this week because the opportunities will be there for him. Yeah. Although I'll say this, um, I I won't be surprised if we're sitting here next week and we're all like, well, it was Jason Tatum. It was big time Jason Tatum because <laughs> yeah. that guy. I think these two teams, especially um, uh, who, who have you know a real Florida State and Louisville, very very long teams and um, not uh, you know not easy to get your shot off against them. I think that they may bother Luke Kennard a lot and gra- may bother Grayson Allen a lot. Um, Jason Tatum has the kind of game that I think uh, he's so effortless in the way he scores. And he is also long. Um, Tatum could be, he could be really, really key against these guys against Boston college. There were some of the, some of the pull up jumpers he, he takes. Um, there are three words to describe the way Jason Tatum scores N B a, he scores in the way NBA players score. And uh, it, it's um, a, it, it looks a lot like, Jabari Parker when he was in college. I think it's a very similar. Uh, he's looking for similar types of shots. Yeah, I agree. 
I agree. Um, although I think he's better. He, he's got a much better stroke from the outside. Um, Parker was better closer to the basket. Well, uh, gentlemen, I think that's going to wrap it up for us here um, uh, as we started the ACC season, started the new year. Um, so, so, so much going on for the Duke Blue Devils. Um, we, we will hear in the next couple of days, hopefully, uh, about the status of Emil Jefferson's injury. Um, we, uh, uh, we wish Coach K um, uh, a speedy, quick recovery, um, but we are confident um, with, uh, with Duke uh, having Jason Capel um, at the helm. Um, that's going to wrap it Jeff, wow. wow, I just did that, didn't I? Yeah, you have. I was, I was thinking of Jason to... Tatum. All right, everybody, come up with a, with a punishment for Jason for confusing <laughs> Jeff Capel oh and Jason Capel. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe yeah. I just did that. Yep. Sorry, uh, dude. Can I edit that? I, I, no. I think I have... no. Oh, no, 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 <laughs> no. People, people need oh, to know. God. Everybody out there, suggest punishments, punishments for Jason. Um, We'll we'll take ideas in the uh, discussion thread for this uh, podcast. Well, this is not ending well. (laughs) (laughs) um, Do we have a minute um, for you guys to tell me if you're rooting for Clemson or Alabama in the football championship game this week? I'm definitely rooting for Clemson. Yeah, is that even a question? Not even not even for ACC purposes. Just because I want to I want to see Clemson win. I think they've earned it. I want to see them win. I, I think that I think the Alabama juggernaut is really entertaining. I, I, I I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> no, see, that, I mean that's gonna set. I mean that just the backstory with the fact that Lane Kiff is not coaching uh, the the final game there. Like that is going to be if they win, then Saban is the genius of all geniuses. If they lose, then how does that story play out? I mean that's gonna be something that's gonna be looked at and second guessed and triple guessed uh, for the next eight months in that in that state. So I'll tell you something really interesting I read on ESPN today. They were talking about the fact that um, this poor Clemson team has come along at at the wrong moment. That this is um, probably, you know, Deshaun Watson, probably the greatest player in Clemson's history. Um, you can make a pretty good argument that uh, Dabo Sweeney is the greatest coach in Clemson's history, that Clemson the past two years is has been as good as Clemson ever has been, even though Clemson has won a national title in the past. Um and, and yet they've come along at a time that Alabama was so great. And the way they started out the article, this has nothing to do with Clemson, but I thought it was such a great quote. I just had to repeat it. John Madden was once asked, um, hey, didn't you win a Super Bowl? And he said, yes, yes, I won one Super Bowl. And they said, how come you only won one Super Bowl? And he said, well, I actually won five Super Bowls, but the Pittsburgh Steelers, Terry Bradshaw has my other four rings. Um, and that John Madden's <laughs> great Oakland Raiders teams came along the same time the Pittsburgh Steelers and Terry Bradshaw were, were just world beaters, the same time they were winning four Super Bowl titles. And, and so when you ask John Madden, why do you only have one Super Bowl ring? He says, Terry Bradshaw is wearing my other four rings. Uh, and they, the, the ESPN started that article, started the article that way because they said, poor Clemson, their national titles are resting on Nick Saban's fingers. Um, and so I'm really rooting for Clemson just because I, 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 would let the, I think they deserve what they've accomplished, what they've done, and how they've played—they deserve. Um, they deserve a ring. They deserve winning. God, they were really—they were really good against Ohio State. They were really good against Ohio State. Yeah, they were. I didn't—I didn't really pay attention until to college football until like the early two thousands, when USC was perennially like they had the best quarterback, and um, 
you know, they, they were like always the best team and they, they won a few championships in the early 2000s. And in my mind, it was like, USC will never stop being amazing. They'll always be good. And then all of a sudden, Pete Carroll, you know, they get in trouble for the Reggie Bush scandal and Pete Carroll leaves for the NFL. Um, what is going to stop Alabama and Nick Saban from just continuing to roll the way they have rolled for the last seven, eight years? I mean, it, it doesn't seem like anything can stop them. It, 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 there used to be an argument like four or five years ago that, oh, the SEC has all these great teams and SEC pride and all these things. That was ridiculous. It was it was Alabama and everybody else, and and it and that's more pronounced today, I think, than it was a few years ago. Like Auburn had good years, Florida was good a few years ago. Um, now it's like it, it's Auburn, and, and nobody's even close to them. As good as you, as Jason, as you point out, as good as Clemson has been the last couple of years um, with Deshaun Watson. College football is cyclical. I mean, you know, if you think about back in those early, you were talking about the early two thousands, if you recall, Alabama was not good during that during right. that time. Um, they did get. They eventually got Saban, who was at LSU, who were world beaters. They ended up going. Then he ended up going to the Dolphins, the and, Dolphins then back, yeah. and then coming back and leaving after two years and going to Alabama. And now well, they're like, the now they're the juggernaut. So it, it's weird. Like it, it was. It's probably going to take him leaving because when he leaves, that aura, le- the legacy and the aura, uh, kind of dissipates a little bit with Alabama, even though they have all this history. They've had stretches where they just could not beat anybody, um, and yeah, it's because right. of their coaching. As you pointed out, they weren't good in the early 2000s. And that, like I said, that's when I really started following college football. And they struck, until Saban had his success, Alabama always struck me as one of those programs that, like, was good before, you know, my my history of college football began. And that they probably won't be good again because, like, you know, how could you possibly be, be a, a good football team, like, in the modern age in the state of Alabama? Like, the, the best teams are going to be playing in California and Florida and Texas. And that's how it'll be forever. And of course, that's not the case anymore. Anyway, that's a Remember, lot of college football talk. <laughs> I was going to say, before the USC years, um, it was Miami and was Miami. Florida State yeah. and Nebraska. Um, and so, Oklahoma. Yeah, yeah. Um, Texas was great for a little while. It, it's really cyclical, um, but it does kind of feel like Alabama, especially from a recruiting standpoint, that they're on sort of one of these magical runs. And, uh, you know, I don't know. But I'm hoping Clemson wins. I really do. That's both both for the ACC and because they deserve it. It'll probably be a good game. I'm I'm excited to watch. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, with, so with that, we're going to wrap up episode number 65, 66. I blanked on which number 66. it is. 66, thank you. 66, We've been talking old Jason Cable over there. Yeah, By the way, a second ago, you were talking about Alabama and you called them Auburn. So we need a penalty for you also. No, I said, I said that Auburn, I said that there was, that there was a moment when Auburn was, was good, you know, when they had like Cam Newton and, um, I don't, maybe I, maybe I made that mistake, but it's not as egregious as yours. It is, it is not even three orders of magnitude as egregious as mine is. Yep. <laughs> okay. So, uh, that's going to do it for, for Sam and Donald. I am Jason, um, uh, blue devils win with Jeff Cable at the helm this week. That's the call that's going to happen. Blue devil band. Take us home.